Thank you for being here. And uh, our desire is that you'll make Downey First Christian Church, hopefully your church home, but, f- but the most important thing is that you'll make Jesus the Lord of your life. And so thank you for being here. Also, if, you're new, if this church is new to you, after I'm done preaching, I'm going to go out that door, I'm going to make a right, and there is a guest lounge over there. That's uh, kind of like a living room area uh, in our church, and I would like to meet you personally. So I'm going to be over there. Uh, I promise you I'm not going to take a whole bunch of your time. It'll probably take like 30 seconds. I just want to catch your name and see if there's anything that we can do uh, for you as a church. And if you brought that person, just take that person over there. You guys can both be there. Or, you know, if you brought more people, just make your way over there. And I would love to meet you uh, in person. Sound good? All right, all right. So if you have your Bibles, please go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 10. Start in verse 10. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So we are on a series uh, called Spiritual Warfare. We've been talking about spiritual warfare, and if you want to catch up on uh, the past messages, please just go to our website. You click messages, and you can hear all the past messages all the way, I think, from like 2019. You can go and and watch those, but if you're not familiar yet with this uh, series and you just want to catch up, you can catch both of the uh, first two sermons of uh, this uh, sermon series. And so spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. Why, why are we talking about spiritual warfare? Well, well because we're in a battle. Like, like, we're, like do, you, do you guys feel that? Like we're in a battle. Like life is a battle. And, and this battle, these battles that we face aren't things necessarily, aren't situations necessarily, aren't circumstances necessarily, but these battles that we face have driver's licenses, right? And they have social security numbers. Okay, it's people, right? People are the ones that most, at least as far as we can tell, are the ones that cause in our lives to face these battles. They're people that cause the circumstances that we're dealing with. It's people that make us go through hard times. And so what Paul is saying in in this portion of scripture is that many times, as far as we can tell, this battle is flesh and blood. Like he understands that most of us, when we face battles, we think it's, it's, it's our spouse. We think it's our cousin. We think it's our brother. We think it's our co-worker. We think it's our neighbor. We think it's our boss. We think it's our enemies. He's saying that. He's saying, he's saying, I know that you may think that this battle is flesh and blood, but it's actually not flesh and blood. He's saying there is an actual battle that's behind the battle that is more real. And he's, he, he wants us to open our eyes to that reality. He wants us to understand that there is much more going on than we can perceive with our five senses. And honestly, there's nothing that the enemy would like more than for us to be confused about the true nature, nature of the battles that we're facing. 
He would like nothing better to think that, hey, it's your cousin, it's your spouse. So we get caught up in these lesser battles, and we're not able to face the ones that are actually the ones that are real. And so here's the problem. So we think the battle is human. And so then when we, since we think the battle is human, we take up human battles or, or human weapons. And these human weapons are what? Quick wit, evil for evil, you know, uh, getting back at the other person with more force. And we realize that we're not, we don't end up winning these battles. Why? Because we've picked up the wrong weapons because the nature, the true nature of these battles are spiritual in essence. And so the question is, okay, since the battle is spiritual, then what are these weapons of quote-unquote war that we can take up in order to be able to, to win these battles in the actual battlefield and not just on the surface? And so 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking about this same idea. He says this, starting in verse 3. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So how does the world wage war? War. Well, we just talked about that. Revenge, right? Human arguments, evil for evil. He says, no, this is not us. Now that we're in Christ, this is, these are, this is not the level of, of our battlefield. Our, the level of our battlefield is much deeper. Verse 4 says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Power, demolishing strongholds, taking captive. This is all war language that the Apostle Paul is using. And so we talked about it the other day that it is possible, since uh, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, the letter to the Ephesians while he was in prison, that he might have been looking at a Roman soldier. And he was looking at this Roman soldier, right? And he was looking at all of his armor. And he's like, man, this guy is ready for war. Dude, he's got the helmet, right? He's got the, he's got the shield. He's got the sword. He's got those boots. Man, that guy, he's going to stand his ground. Like, even if I tried to take him out, no way. Maybe if he didn't have all his armor on, I might be able to take him out. But I, I, there's, there's no chance because of all the, the things that he is wearing, and so in that moment, I, I picture Paul looking at him and saying, this guy has no fear. This guy has no insecurity. This guy does not feel weak. This guy does not feel vulnerable because he's got all this stuff on. And then the Holy Spirit inspires him to talk about this whole idea of the armor of God. He's saying this is available to us as Christians as well. And, and, and he, he, he's understanding that this is how we fight in the spirit. We've got this armor that is available to us. And we can stand our ground just like that soldier. But us in the spirit, we can stand our ground with no fear, with no insecurity, without feeling weak, and without feeling vulnerable. You see, the problem is that when we face battles in the flesh, sometimes we win Sometimes we lose, or sometimes we feel like we win, and sometimes we feel like we lose. But when we put on the full armor of God, the enemy doesn't stand a chance. How many of you guys are aware of the, uh, the football game that happened about a month ago between Downey High and Warren? Okay, I know why you're saying that. 
You see, there's a difference between winning a game and being demolished by the, the opposition, right? Now, they had their secret weapon, right? Nico Lamaleva, I think, was his name, which some people said he was overrated. But anyway, he, it, wasn't, it wasn't close. It was not even close. It was, it was Downey, and my, our kids go to Downey, got demolished by Warren. It wasn't close. All right? Okay, let's not lose focus here, okay? Downey didn't stand a chance. And you see, here's the problem is that I used to think, I used to believe that our battle against the enemy, when we put on the full armor of God, like it just gives us a better chance. Like, yeah, it's like these two opposing forces are in conflict. If I put on the, the full armor of God, then I, I'll have a better chance of, of, of winning against the enemy. That's not the way it works. When you put on the full armor of God, you don't stand a better chance you will demolish the strongholds. You will demolish the enemy. That's, it's not like, oh, yeah, maybe it's going to be a little bit better. You stand with Christ, and you will have nothing to oppose you. That's why the verse says divine power, not human power. And this power will demolish strongholds. It's not going to just cause a little bit of damage. And so the rest of this uh, all, the sermon series... Is, uh, is dedicated to unpacking these weapons, okay? And so what I want us to understand and to, and, and, and to get our hands on is to be able to, first of all, understand what these weapons are and then to be able to use them properly. Pastor Mark last week uh, did an amazing job in talking about the belt of truth. He was asking me if I should try on the belt of truth, see if it fits better on me, but I'd, I don't know where it's at. If you have it, maybe we can try it, but I don't know where it is. Uh, or I choose to not know where it is. Um, and so he talked about the belt of truth. And, and today I'm going to talk about the, the breastplate of righteousness, which is another piece of the armor of God. And if you're, uh, if you're not in a growth group or if you are in a growth group, you are going to be talking about this topic this week uh, in your groups. If you're not in a growth group, you can always sign up. Just go online. We've got like 12 groups uh, for you to participate in. And just go online and you can choose one of those groups. But you'll be talking about the breastplate of, of righteousness. And one of the things that's important to understand about the, about the, the belt and the breastplate is that they really kind of go together. So, so if you put the breastplate on without the belt, the breastplate's going to fall off. Or it's going to be very uncomfortable. But the, the, the belt is what would hold up the breastplate. And this is really interesting because, because the two go together. The belt holds up the breastplate. And he calls the breastplate the breastplate of righteousness, and he calls the belt the belt of truth. And so you need to have both of those that go together. Now, so what, what, is, what does this mean exactly? Because I think that sometimes we, we get confused as to what truth is or what this belt of truth truly is. Sometimes we think that truth is, is about telling the truth. Sometimes we think that truth is about knowing the truth, and it is. Sometimes we think that truth is about knowing the truth, and, and all these things are good definitions of the term, but, but truth is, at the root of it, is actually not something that you do or something that you act upon. It's actually a person. Jesus, Jesus uh, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say, I will show you the truth. He says, you're looking at it. This is, this is it right here. 
And so it's very important for us to, to understand that, that when we talk about the belt of truth, we're actually talking about Christ himself. And so the, the reason why we need to understand this belt of truth being Christ himself, because it is Jesus himself that holds everything else up. So on him, on Christ, you put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. And I'm going to explain this. I'm going to explain this. If you place your righteousness on anything other than Christ, it is not righteousness, it is self-righteousness. Because Jesus is the truth on which we can place our righteousness. So I grew up believing, I've heard these verses my whole life. I grew up believing that the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness was something that we needed to put on ourselves. Like you got like like putting on the breastplate of righteousness was all about trying harder. You got to pick up that thing. You got to put it on. You got to be better. You got to sin less. You can't fall short. You you got to be good enough. You got to work. You got to strive. You got to pick up that thing and you got to put that on your chest because when you are righteous, then you will be able to defend yourself against anything that the enemy shoots toward you. The idea of picking up this heavy breastplate. And if you committed a sin, Right? If, you, if you committed a sin, or you had a lustful thought, or you lied, or you backslid, that's because that breastplate was not put on great. Yeah, like you, you missed out. Like you weren't thinking about the breastplate. You got to adjust that thing on yourself because when it gets misaligned or it falls, then the enemy goes in there. You got lazy. You weren't paying attention, right? You let an arrow in from the enemy, and that's your fault. The enemy got you. And so what came as a result of that is, is guilt and condemnation. It's like, oh, my gosh, that's my fault. Like, I just, whew, I got to pick up that thing again, and you got to put it back on. You got to strap it on. And if it's not, then again, it's all your fault. God was disappointed in me because I let my guard down. And as a result of me letting my guard down, the enemy came in and attacked me. So it was all about me. It's all about you. You didn't do enough. You didn't try hard enough. But then there was the flip side. Hey, I've got my press plate, man. That thing is tight. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't sin anymore. I don't commit sins anymore, right? I pray every day. I never miss my Bible reading. I serve. I give. I am a good Christian. That thing is tight. Um... I have lifted this heavy breastplate and placed it on myself. Now I walk in holiness. That's the flip side. Here's the problem. The problem is that when you say that or when you think that, that you've placed this breastplate on yourself, what has really happened is, is, it a, is that a big arrow got through that you don't even notice. And that arrow is pride. And that's a big one. Here's the important thing. When, if very important. You cannot hold up that breastplate unless the breastplate rests on Jesus, who's the belt of truth. You see, if you pl place the breastplate on anything other than Christ, it's going to fall off. You can't do this yourself. And that's the very definition of self-righteousness. It's placing, listen to this. The very definition of self-righteousness is placing the burden of righteousness on yourself. And let me just tell you right now, you're never going to make it. 
You see, the problem is when the day of evil comes, so when it gets hard, when life gets hard, you will not hold up against the devil's schemes. The idea here is to rest completely on the goodness of God through Jesus. When we think, of, when we think it's about giving, you see, the problem is many times we think that putting on this breastplate of righteousness on ourselves is basically just about giving our best shot at being good. And when we think that, like, like putting the breastplate of righteousness, just, I'm going to do my best to please God. And when we think that we can actually pull that off, it's because we don't understand the demand of God. The demand of God. Do you know what the demand of God is? If you go to, to Matthew chapter 5, we don't, we don't have the verse, but it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. The demand of God, like, like the righteousness that God requires, do you know what it is? So Jesus comes in. So the, the, the Pharisees, they have all these laws. Jesus comes in, and he makes it even harder. He says, you've heard it, you've heard it said that if you commit adultery, then you are, you are guilty of the law. He says, well, I, I say that even if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. You've heard it said that, um, you know, uh, you shouldn't kill, right? Don't commit murder. But I tell you, even if you get mad at your brother and you call him a fool, you have already committed murder in your heart. And you know how he, how he ends um, Matthew chapter 5? He says, you know what? Here's the thing. If you want to be righteous, be perfect, like your Father in heaven is perfect. So the reason why I share that is because that is the demand of righteousness. And so when we think that we can pull it off and we can put this breastplate of righteousness on ourselves, it's because we don't understand the demand. I grew up believing that the Sermon on the Mount was a ladder that we needed to climb up. Like, you got to do all these things. But the reality is that the, the Sermon on the Mount is actually a wall that we need, to, we need to crash into and fall on our knees, understanding we will never make it. We need Jesus. We need him. Stop trying to pick up that breastplate. All you have to offer is self-righteousness. It's not about you trying harder. It's about you falling on your face before Jesus who did it all for you. It's about coming to terms with our utter spiritual bankruptcy because then and only then will you create a space in your life for Jesus to actually come in and save you. You see, Jesus is the belt of truth. And also, Jesus is the breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, he says God, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how do we reach the righteousness of God? Oh, man, you got to strut that thing on as hard as you can. No. No. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can't make it on our own. We, only, we do it through Christ. Christ did it for us. Here's something really cool. Um, so, as you know, the Bible wasn't written in English. 
It's written in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. And so the word for righteousness in this context is really interesting. It means, one of the, one of the meanings is divine approval. So it's the, it's the breastplate of divine approval, which I think is really cool. Um, I think many, many of the reasons why perhaps you and I or many of us walk around defeated, maybe depressed, anxious, is because you don't feel approved. You feel like you're always falling short. You feel like you're never good enough. You feel like you're never smart enough, that you're never holy enough. And then when you feel that way, you're like, I got I to gotta muscle it. Like, I just got to make this happen. I got to strap that thing on tight, which means do more, try harder, be better. That's not what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It does not mean that. It's, it's putting on the breastplate of righteousness means that you recognize that you will always fall short, you will never be good enough, you will never be righteous enough, you will never be pure enough. It is falling on your face before a holy God and saying, I give up trying. I give up. I think some of you guys feel that way right now. This breastplate of righteousness is too heavy. It's too heavy. It's not meant for you to carry. It's meant to be placed on Christ. We can't make it on our own. The only way is if we fall on our faces and recognize that Christ did it for us. But here's the pushback. It's like, okay, Pastor Josh, great. So we don't have to do anything. Now we can live however we want to live. No, I'm going to close with this short story. Um, I heard this story a couple weeks ago. It was the story about this, uh, this camp. It was, a, it was a youth camp. And in this youth camp, there was, there was 10 cabins. And one of the, it was about 100 kids. And one of these kids was really rank, rambunctious, rambunctious, rambunctious. He was really like a menace. And he was doing all these things. And he was making everybody uncomfortable. And so this uh, camp lasted about seven days, and on the last day, they decided they were going to do an award show. And so the award was going to be uh, given to the one cabin that was the cleanest, okay? And so the award show was going was to come up, and then everyone started cleaning their cabins because the, one, the cabin that was going to be the cleanest was going to be the one that won. And so this kid goes, and he messes his cabin up completely. He TPs the whole thing. He does str string spray, takes all the, you know, uh, uh, suitcases out, makes a whole mess of the whole place. He was just having a good time, you know, trying to make everybody angry. And so the director of the camp and his team, they go through all the cabins, and they start grading him. And then they go to this last cabin, and they realize that the whole thing was a mess. It was a huge mess. <sighs> Director of the cabin was frustrated. He's like, okay, we're going to teach this kid a lesson. And his team thought, okay, I know what you're talking about. He's like, no, you don't know what I'm talking about. We're going to teach him a lesson about the gospel. And what he did was he cleaned the whole thing. They all cleaned this cabin. They made it perfect. They cleaned the floors. They cleaned the windows. Everything, it looked brand new. The kid was so surprised because he stopped by the cabin. He looked around. He's like, man, I just made a mess of this whole place. And now all of a sudden it's clean. Not only that, he went to the award show, and they started giving out awards. Guess who got number one? This kid. He got a special prize. And he's like, wait, how does this whole thing work? This doesn't make any sense to me. And the director told him, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. The life of this kid was changed forever as a result of this experience. 
Do you guys think that a punishment would have been more effective for him to learn his lesson? This demonstration of grace changed his life completely. You see, the reason why I share that is because the life-transforming power of grace and forgiveness has always surpassed that of guilt and condemnation. The power to permanently change a life for the good has never been through guilt and condemnation, but always been through grace and forgiveness. See, maybe you're here today and you feel you need to carry that breastplate of righteousness on your own to compensate for all of your shortcomings. You don't. Here's the thing. You see, as a result of nothing that we have done or failed to do, Jesus offers us salvation and eternal life. And all it requires is faith. And what does that mean? Faith means the recognition that you can't do it on your own. That's when you create the space for Jesus to come in. Believing this, accepting this is what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness means giving up all our attempts of being for God what only Jesus could ever be on our behalf. So what I want to do um, here before we close, I want to ask if we can all close our eyes here for a minute. This, this moment is between you and God, and I'm going to say a few things, and then we're going to pray. Because maybe you're here this morning, and, and your whole life you've thought that you've got to be the righteous person. You've got to be perfect or else. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've come to realize that that our righteousness is not our own. We can never make it. We can never be perfect like our heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. So maybe you're here this morning and you need to replace or put, put on again the breastplate of righteousness on the, wrong, on the right spot and, and stop muscling through. And you'll realize that the result of this is that the life-transforming power of grace and truth through Jesus Christ will be the most effective thing that will make you walk in righteousness. And so if this is, if you're struggling right now and there's an area in your life where you just need me to pray over you, just raise your hand. I'll pray right now. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. So Lord God, we come to you this morning recognizing that we need you. We need your forgiveness. We need you to come through for us. And the beautiful thing is that we Realize now that you have already come through for us in the most amazing way that anyone could ever come through for anybody. You have saved us. And so we come to you this morning recognizing that we need your righteousness. And so I want to pray for all the hands that were raised. I don't know exactly what each person is going through right now, but there's an area in their lives where they've been just muscling through and try to do it on their own. I pray, God, that they will rest their righteousness on you because you became sin for us so that in you we might become the righteousness of God. So we thank you this morning and we love you and we present 
this message to you, and I, I pray that it was, uh, it was helpful to our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.